0: Hollow footfalls echoing through empty corridors. The primal reaction of flesh brushed by an unseen touch. Shadowy figures slipping between the moss-covered boles of ancient trees. Strange calls issuing from not-quite-human throats piercing the stillness of the night. Unusual lights and objects streaming across darkened skies. Stolen minutes and a void filled with obscured and disturbing memories. These occurrences and more are called by many whispered names in many countries around a world we believe we know so well. All of these things share a common thread. I'm Charles Romans, and welcome to the Pathways Leading to the Shadows of Legend. Hello, this is Charles Romans, your host for Shadows of Legend, and today we're speaking with Christopher Harmon. He is a field investigator for MUFON. Hello today, Christopher. How are you doing? Great. How are you, buddy? Doing pretty good so far. Might want to give our our listeners a little bit of background. Explain what MUFON is to them and uh, your connection.
1: Sure. MUFON is the Mutual UFO Network, and we investigate UFO sightings as well as alien abduction encounters. I work as a field investigator and in the ERT, where I work with people who have been abducted, and I help the people overcome their fear of abductions and help them understand just really what is going on.
0: Okay, hey, so uh, what area do you work out of, or do you travel all over?
1: Before the COVID-19 pandemic, hit, we did do a lot of traveling, but yeah. now a lot of it's done on, on computers, but we are currently getting back out traveling in different locations and all over the world.
0: Excellent. So when did you first get involved with this? What is it, what's your story that connected you to MUFON, or led you to MUFON, actually, I should say?
1: Well, I had encounters when I was a, a a child. I didn't know exactly what they were. I didn't know if they were ET or paranormal. I was too scared to turn around. But as I got older, I began to realize that it, it was ET because I had a being standing at the front of my uh, uh, sofa one night around two thirty in the morning, and it had. And I knew right away it wasn't a it wasn't a spirit or a ghost because it uh, had a solid mass to it and it looked right at me. And even the animal next to me, the cat, was looking at it too. So I knew it had to be ET. I'll never forget that. And then years after that, a few years later, I had my first UFO sighting uh, coming from the northeast. I looked up and saw a craft with lights. And what was strange about that, and I knew it was definitely a craft, was because it vanished just within a matter of seconds. It didn't move. It just completely vanished like a light went off. And And I'll never forget that.
0: What area, geographically speaking, what area was this in when you had these encounters?
1: Um, I live in... A town called Green Valley, Illinois. It's a little ways down from Peoria, Illinois.
0: Okay. And uh, did you uh, experience these sightings? Uh, just to clarify a little bit, was it in a more urban area or more rural area?
1: A rural area.
0: Okay. So now I'm assuming, well, I guess I should just ask, what age were you when you experienced the first one?
1: On my first encounter, I would have been, shoot, I would have had to say, 16,
0: maybe, between 15 and 16. Okay, so you you weren't like uh, a very young child. You were basically a young adult.
1: Right. I had dreams even as a child that didn't make sense, but I was the first one that I could actually state state for a fact that I knew something was going on.
0: Well, now, look. speaking of dreams, they're looking back on it. Do you think maybe those (laughs) were less dreams and more uh, maybe repressed memories?
1: I think they very well could have been. Of course, I can't prove either way, but I think it very well could have been... Because uh, as I'm getting older, I'm beginning to remember some of those dreams, and, and I'm almost to the point where I think they were more than just
0: dreams. Well, I, as you said, it'd be difficult to prove something like that with any kind of uh, hard evidence. Right. There seems to be a little bit of uh, a difference here when when you're talking about something that uh, is... Uh, well, I mean, it's all paranormal because it's out of the ordinary, but uh, when you're talking about Uh, extraterrestrials see people seem to insist on more rigid and solid proof than they do in it with for instance a supernatural occurrence
1: right Uh, paranormal of course a lot of people associate that with spirits or ghosts or or things that float around but et seem to be more of a uh, solid can't see through an et and you pretty much know when they're there because i've had enough encounters I, i can kind of um determine um when they're in the in the area or when they're, when they're present
0: well that's pretty interesting there in itself what what are some of the markers what are the telltale signs that there might be ufo activity in the area beyond actually seeing a craft
1: well usually um when they're in the area you kind of get a uh everything kind of stands still pretty much you and then you see you you just kind of get a feeling to look in a certain direction it's almost like they uh give me some kind of a sign that you don't realize, but you just get a sense to look up or look this way. And for me, a lot of it is I just get that feeling. Uh, I, I'm I'm trained to the point where I know the difference between their feelings and the feelings of, like, let's say, you or a parent or a guardian.
0: I see. So how many of these experiences did you have before you uh, become connected with MUFON?
1: Oh, I would have to say anywhere from... 15 clear up to at least 20 that i can i can count for sure um and these experiences uh led me to becoming a paranormal investigator and well first led me to being curious and studying a lot of this stuff yes it led me to become then led me to become a paranormal investigator and through that is when i heard the term mufon and when some when i asked what is mufon they told me Immediately, a light a light went off in my head. I knew right away that was my uh, calling card, in a way. I knew I had to join MUFON to, to really figure out what was going on, and I did.
0: So what was the process there? I mean, just a curiosity question here for other people that have had similar experiences. How do you reach out to MUFON and and become part of their field research team?
1: Well, you can find MUFON um, if, uh, at MUFON.com, uh, or if you just look up UFOs online, they'll be something surely there that will say MUFON. But once you uh, log to their webpage, there's a drop-down menu uh, that says Become a Field Investigator. And then you simply uh, have to buy their uh, study manual. They call it a handbook. It's, it's a like a great big book full of uh, information, and it's pretty easy to read. It's all simple words. And once you uh, study that, you can take the online test at their uh, at what they call MUFON universities, like a UFO college. Take the test, and w- when you pass that, You'll get a call from your state director or somebody from MUFON, and they'll get you set up and get your information and get you on your way to investigating your first uh, sighting or case, as we call
0: it. What I would say in an organization spread out is that they do need as many field investigators as they can get, really.
1: Yeah, just in the United States alone, we can sometimes get up to 700 cases, so we can always use the extra help. So if anybody's listening, please join MUFON and and uh, help us investigate and find, the, find out what's going on.
0: So how much investigating have you done with MUFON so far?
1: Close to 80 to 85 cases just in uh, in the last few years alone.
0: So if you don't care, walk us through the investigation process. Say, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, right now I'm in Ironton, Ohio. Say there's a report in Ironton, Ohio that there's been a sighting of, of a spacecraft. How do you go about sure. what's the process?
1: Well, usually the process is that you'll get an uh, email w- stating that you've you've been assigned a case. Uh, the email will have a brief overview of what the case is about. Once you have read through that, you can log on to the uh, MUFON.com and put in your uh, login credentials. Go in and read the entire report. In the report, it will have names, phone numbers, addresses, um, locations, street street addresses. You can uh, email the witness, which we normally do. Introduce yourself, let them know who you are, what field you work in, and that you want to offer your help or support. And that let them know you're, you're the assigned investigator to their case. You'll be assisting them. And ask them if, if there's a good time to interview them. Normally, we uh, will interview a person within a few days after we get assigned the case. We'll have the witness pick the time and date that they want to be interviewed. That way they don't feel rushed or feel pressured.
0: And I must... We interview them. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I'm assuming that it's up to the witness whether they want an in-person interview or a telephone interview or something like oh uh,
1: Yes, if if one of us is close enough, we could do it in person interview, but if, if the case isn't real serious, we could just do it over the phone, and sometimes they feel better just to do it over the phone. They feel less pressured, not having to feel like they have to give out certain information. We, we let them say what they want to say, and then we just kind of take it from there, ask a few questions. We take down their information, and we might ask them, you know, is there any certain characteristics that, that they see, that they noticed on the craft, or any certain signs that they knew what was indeed a UFO? Just simple questions. We go through. After we get done with the interview, we will take that interview and uh, add it to the case uh, report. If they don't want the interview recorded, we will not add the interview to the report. It's up to them if they want to, if if that if they would mind us recording the interview, and then we just fill out the report, do the research, find out. Because normally we find out what kind of planes were in the area. Were there any jets? Was there any fighter planes? Were there any drones flying in the area? Maybe a good jerk limp was in, in the uh, location at the time. Just basic stuff that we try to rule out all the possibilities first. Like we know it couldn't have been a drone. We know it couldn't have been water, uh, rain or storms or maybe a balloon in the air. If We rule all that out first and then, then we narrow it down to what we think it really could be. And if it isn't one of those other things, then in the end, we either classify it as a unknown or if it's a uh, could be an unknown object. There's no place on the uh, report to, to classify it as UFO. We always classify it as unknown vehicle if it moves. If it's not moving, it's just an unknown object. Or if, if we know what it is, like let's say it is a drone or a plane, then we'll classify it as an identified object. Once we get the uh, report filled out, we simply close the case and move on to the next one.
0: Well, now, speaking of, of research, that kind of thing, say that, uh, again, we use Ironton, Ohio. Say I wanted to just find out how many sightings of unidentified craft had been in the Ironton area. Could I log on to uh, Move Home's website and research that through them?
1: Oh, well, yes, you can log on to the website. Uh, you don't have to be a field investigator. You can log on and uh, search uh, sightings by state. And then you can find the ones just for your area that have been recent. Um, of course, the information won't have the entire report. or just have an overview leaving names out. But it give you an idea of what what's going on in your area. I mean, just in the United States alone, we get 700 cases a month. And a lot of those cases come from Florida, Texas, or some of them from Ohio even. So we get quite a few reports. We
0: well, see, that, that was what I was getting at. If somebody had saw something, well, you know, I want to check and see if anybody else has seen something. <laughs>
1: And majority, I will say majority of the reports we get in, about 80% of those reports at least are misidentifications like drones, water spots, balloons, birds. Uh, We even get cases where people mistake birds for UFOs. But but it's those other 20% of unknowns that we take more serious because we really want to find out what was going on.
0: Well, I mean, that that would make perfect sense. Uh, you would have to research to eliminate and determine whether or not this is more than likely a misinterpretation, we'll say. But you, you've got to wade through all of it to get to the stuff that you – when you when you get down to the point to where, okay, we, we're not sure what this is. This could possibly – there's a likelihood that this is some sort of alien or at least unidentified craft.
1: Right. And we enjoy, really enjoy investigating the uh, actual uh, cases of UFOs because it really helps us get down to the uh, bottom of what's going on. I mean, sometimes you might have two, maybe if you're lucky, two cases from the same area that two people saw the same object. And that's great because if you've got two or three cases of the same thing, that's more evidence, more proof leading towards the fact that they do exist, that they are out there.
0: See and, and the fact that you do uh, I hesitate to use the word debunk, but the fact that you do research and, and question the information, I think it's kind of telling because that shows that there's a deliberate, intelligent effort and you know, just say it rather than just say, Okay, yeah, I saw something in the sky, it's a UFO. Which that that philosophy is what people who don't believe in, in UFOs use against the people that do believe in UFOs. It's like, oh well you think everything's UFO. So,
1: I was going to say you're, you're correct, and some people that have not that are considered skeptics, when they do finally have their first sighting or their first encounter, then then they kind of turn around and say, "Well, I guess there is something going on out there," because you you can you can have just one sighting or just one one moment with a craft that you saw, or maybe you actually seen an ET. Let's say all yes. it takes is one moment, and that turns your whole belief system
0: around. William, it, it's a question, and I've said this before. There's very little proof that uh, everyone would accept. But if a person has had a firsthand experience with something, whether it's in this case, extraterrestrials or or the supernatural, at that point, that person themselves, they know. So it's it's no longer about needing proof. It's about convincing other people.
1: Right. And, of course, you're not going to be able to convince everybody. Even even years from now, we'll, we'll be in the same boat, people. Some people will believe, some won't. But uh, it's those that do believe and take this serious, like us researchers and investigators, that we will get to the bottom of it someday, hopefully, and be able to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are there.
0: Well, if nothing else, you're building a, a solid database of information.
1: Right, and just with the database, just with the data we've had, in the last 20 30 years even that just alone is enough to i would say enough to prove that they are out there because if, if you got one person this is pretty interesting because if you got one person in another state that's reporting the same object that somebody let's say here in texas or illinois yes and they both have the same information then that that's proven that there is something of that nature out there because two people saying the same thing that don't know each other can't be uh can't be wrong i mean
0: Well, it it sets a plausible precedent is what it does because uh, I've used this description before that uh, long before there was any kind of connection of, uh, well, cell phones, long before mail even was truly possible. People were reporting instances of similar creatures half a world away. So that would seem to indicate that there's a germ of truth in almost everything.
1: Oh yes, this type of stuff's been going on since since way back, and even in, in 1700s, 1800s, there's there's been reports of UFOs back then. Yes. And, and, and here's the thing that I find interesting is the fact that they say that we don't have the technology that can fly a craft or, or can make something like that, and yet the were sightings and the reports go, go back to 1700s, and they the same things were being reported then. So so you know that if people are reporting this stuff fifty, even up to two hundred years ago, and they're still reporting it, then there's something gotta be going on because we can't you can't dismiss the general public at all that, that say what they saw you can't
0: Well and, and that goes back to what I'd said before, at least you're building a database. So if, right. if you have eyewitness accounts, we'll say, and you have these <laughs> eyewitness accounts dating for backwards a hundred to three hundred years, then it sets a precedent that people are seeing something.
1: Right, and even some people even claim to have had encounters f- physically with the ETs, and uh, and even cases like that. I mean, we take we take everything serious, so it's it's great to uh, be able to work with everybody and and build, building a database and building a step by step process to helping us solve the unknowns of the universe.
0: Well, and and it's curiosity, and the human animal, among other things, is known for curiosity. We we try to understand our environment and at this point the uh UFOs, for instance, are part of the environment, regardless of what they ultimately are explained to be. They are part of the environment and culture and everything else and the social awareness.
1: And right. I mean if you can if you can have fish and birds and alligators and different type of animals, I mean you can have things up there in space too. There's No question, because whoever created all of this didn't didn't, didn't just make us and quit. They kept going, I'm sure.
0: Well, that would seem to be logical to me. So stepping away from the research end of it and everything, let's get on a more personal level. I know you you touched on a couple of things, but uh, is there a very uh, important personal experience with uh, UFOs that you would like to share?
1: Um, Yes, I had one. uh, personal experience. Uh, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but uh, there was one night in particular when I woke up and there was a uh, ET standing at the foot of my uh, bed. I knew for a fact that this wasn't anything paranormal necessarily. It wasn't a see-through. It was a solid figure who was looking directly at me. He didn't move. He just stared at me. And next thing I knew, I was asleep. Woke up within just a few seconds later, but it was actually a few hours later when I woke up and it was gone. Oh, I'll never forget the uh, look on this E.T.'s face. It had uh, eyes, and you I know a lot of people refer to E.T.'s as um, as having big black eyes, but from what I've researched and heard, those are not black eyes. Those are sunglasses in a way that block the sunlight from their eyes because their eyes are like us. And what I witnessed that night was a, an actual E.T. that had no eyes like us that was staring directly at me, and I, I could tell it was an E.T. because it had the uh, different type of... Uh, I want to say, like almost like a different look to its to its face, and it's something that I will never forget. That was my first encounter, actually seeing one. I know I had them when I was a child, but I was too afraid to turn around. But on this night, I did get a very good look at it. And uh, since then, I've had, I've been able to communicate with them through uh, what we call remote viewing, uh, psychic uh, way. But that's my first encounter, and the one that I, one that stands out to me the most out of all of them
0: well now if you don't care in case the listeners aren't familiar with it what exactly is remote viewing
1: Remote viewing is, is a way to um it's similar to being psychic but with remote viewing you're able to uh, write and describe a place object or a thing without physically being there you, i could do an eight-page report basically just on um where a missing child is or where an object or jewelry or something is missing, I, I could do an eight-page report and, and describe exactly where that object's at. You can even remote view, like, say, past history or a future history. If I wanted to remote view Roswell, I, I could sit down and do an eight-page report on what exactly took place at Roswell. And during after and during the eight pages, I, I would detail what exactly went down at Roswell, uh, who was involved and in, what all took place? I, I could do basically anything. It, it basically gives you details without physically being somewhere of what something is or where it's at.
0: I see. And in your experience, how dependable and accurate is that?
1: And you can also use uh, this tool to um, communicate with ETs. I've done that a few times myself uh, using remote theory. I would simply uh, ask the question, you know, who is out there? And then I would write down everything that comes to me. And sometimes the words come to you. You don't necessarily have to uh, hear anything. You just know what to put down. And I've done that communicating with them. Uh, a few months ago during a um, psychic remote viewing session, I was able to communicate. And they said, we're here. But when I looked up, of course, I could not see them. But on the eight pages of information, there was proof in those eight pages that they are, they are here. I was kind of—it was, I guess you call it, a form of being psychic. I knew things nobody else knew, like I knew somebody was or something wasn't going to happen. And so, with the with that tool of being able to know things before anybody else would, um, I didn't didn't know what it was called at first. But as I got older, I began to realize it was a form of being psychic. So once I uh, started getting involved with uh, paranormal work and UFO work, I took course on being certified as a remote viewer and i use that in my work with move on uh, working on cases i use remote viewing and uh, paranormal television shows that we do our group our paranormal group is called something wicked paranormal investigations you can find us online okay. but i do a uh, viewing psychic work on there i recently did a, a, a psychic work or remote viewing work for a missing child's case i was able to um to the point where this child was uh, being held at, captive at, and I was able to get information, license plate numbers, different things to help bring her back home safely. Um, I also do remote healing where I can heal people who have aches and pains. Um, that's not that's, That particular type of work isn't instantaneous. It takes a few sessions to begin the healing process, but it's a lot of uh, interesting work that I do. Um, some of the more interesting work uh, UFO cases, for those who are interested, that I've investigated. Uh, We had a case that involved an outdoor concert. It was outdoors at a a big uh, rock and roll concert, three-day outdoor show. And during those three days, uh, people in the audience saw what they believed to be a spacecraft uh, fly over and hover in the middle of the um, concert. And they had photos and video evidence of it. Mm -hmm. It took us to move on a long time to uh, figure out what exactly was going on. Because we did all the research we possibly could, interviewed all the witnesses, yes. and we could find no explanation yes. to explain what this was other than it must be a UFO. The photo evidence looked perfect. You, you look like a your classic flying um, classic saucer. But then finally, when the photos, because none of us were at the concert, finally when the photos started to come in, uh, we began to realize, looking at the photos, there was one particular photo of the stage lights. And when we saw that photo, what, what we found out was the stage lights were reflecting in the night sky, making it look as if a UFO was centered and hovering over the audience and the crowd. But there are some actual UFO uh, cases I've done, including um, missing time. There was a gentleman I worked with, he had getting ready to uh, go outdoors with his uh, dog. And as soon as he stepped foot, a uh, craft had that was flying over the area, Gave him missing time. He was. He had two hours of missing time that particular case that I worked on. He didn't know what was going on. He knew when he came to that this was not um, not normal. He knew that he had been in contact with something unknown. And if I remember correctly, he did not see the craft. He just opened the door and felt the effects from it. But he figured it had to be UFO related because everything that that he read on our website matched up to what he was going through. Another case that did involve uh, actual sighting of the UFO, and I saved this for last, um, this particular case, a gentleman was going outside with his friend to have some uh, drinks, and they live out on a farm. And while they were there on the farm, um, getting ready to have their drinks, uh, beer, um, yeah. right before they even got the uh, liquor opened up, a black saucer, kind of a tic-tac shape, flew right over them, and as soon as it vanished, Soon as it went over, which only took a few seconds for the craft to go over, as soon as it went over, it was now five thirty in the morning. They had lost almost nine, eight to nine hours of missing time, and and this gentleman called me to to uh, figure out what was going on. He, he filed a report. I investigated the report, uh, walked him through the processes of helping him understand what was going on, what what he really witnessed, and everything, and. It's just supposed to show that sometimes a craft or a UFO sighting can happen. We at least expect it. and In most cases, that's the way it is. Nobody expects this stuff to happen. But to have nine hours of missing time, that's pretty um, bewildering. Because what do you, what happens during those nine hours?
0: Well, Usually most
1: places right, yes. those nine hours. Um, and the fact that this gentleman did uh, not remember, that's why he contacted us, but... He was wondering what happened during those nine hours, so I was able to fill in the missing blanks, give him an idea of what might have happened. All right, moving on. to so, several um, encounters with ETs and abductions. In this particular case, um, I worked with her and still speak to her occasionally. She's been through so much in life, and she thought she was being punished by all of the ET uh, contact. But I will say that most uh, encounters in, that people have with ETs None of it is harmful. Most of the cases I work with, it's all very peaceful. And uh, nobody's, nobody that I've investigated or worked with has ever been harmed. Everything has been pretty much peaceful. It's just the fear that initially goes into having contact. A lot of uh, witnesses will not claim to, um, or not claim, but they have encounters. And, and to them, it's frightful. It, it takes them a while to understand, through my help and through MUFON's help, that a lot of this is nothing to be afraid of. They're not not—they're not harming us because a lot of people call this abductions. Uh, we tend to more refer to it as like an encounter because some of the people that have been encountered or abducted have been brought back in better <laughs> health than when they left, which is pretty uh, outstanding to uh, be able to be brought back and be in great health.
0: Well, I and would think it would be, yes.
1: I've worked with so many people that have actually sent me had, had to totally x-rays showing that he was uh, the, the before and after his uh, encounters because now he can walk straight. He's in better health than he's ever been. Generally, when it comes to people who have had abductions or encounters, what happens is I will um, contact them through email and then set up a time to uh, speak to them over the phone. Now I might speak to them you know, several times, maybe even a dozen times. Just speak to them like a friend and uh, help them understand and cope and, and learn and grow from their experiences. So a lot of times is. with my health, I'm able to take the, the, the fear away. I use meditation to help them understand, uh, help them cope with their encounters because the meditation that I that I do with a person, um, it takes their mind into a different location. I'm able to give them a like a beautiful beach or a countryside or flowers or things to look at at night to help them relax and go to sleep because a lot of the, a lot of the people They once they start having encounters, they're afraid to sleep. They don't get any sleep because they're fear that it's going to happen again.
0: What do you think? It may
1: never happen again.
0: uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say, do you think it'd be something as simple as this? This isn't your uh, a common occurrence. And then once it does happen, then all of a sudden everything in pop culture is coming to these people's minds. So they're afraid that aliens are going to come in and sweep them away, and they'll never be heard from again. Do you think it's right?
1: I mean, good.
0: No, I was just gonna say, do you think that that could be one of the reasons that, that people are are afraid when this happens?
1: Oh yeah, very much. They they could be afraid just because of the fact that once they experience it, they get that fear into them. It's hard to get rid of it, even even if it never happens again. The fact that you had it happen one time, that fear is is in your mind and body for life, and and it's something that never goes away.
0: Well, in a very and, real way, it'd have to be almost like a home invasion, wouldn't it? Because you didn't invite him in, yes. and and they just showed up.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you all of a sudden you got guests that come down out of the clear blue, walk into your house, and and pay you a visit at twelve a.m. I mean, yeah, that's like you say, home invasion, and 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 that puts such a fear in, into not only the children of a house, but to the husband and wife as well, and they don't know if it's going to happen again. They they have no way to uh, protect themselves from it necessarily.
0: Right, I was. Uh, <laughs> If if there's no way they could stop it if they chose to, then that makes it even more of a cause for fear.
1: Right, and even even us in Mufon, we we have no guaranteed way of stopping it. Although I have techniques that I give each person to help them. Yes, like send a telepathic message or try to get a, try to get a message to them that you, you don't want to be taken. You don't have a right to be in my house, but. I can't guarantee that all that's going to work, and every person has a different encounter.
0: One of the things I was talking about earlier, and I think when we lost sound here, was that uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and, and you're in a position to do so if I'm wrong, but uh, a lot of people have reported communications with these ETs, and it's been strictly nonverbal. It's been telepathic.
1: Yes, very much. In fact, there is more telepathic messages being sent to, to the person or the individual like us, verbally a lot of ETs don't speak uh, like you and me, so they do everything by telepathic, Not, and that's the way they all speak to each other, and um, I myself have had telepathic messages from, from them saying that we are here or that we need you to do this or do that, and I recognize who, who it is because I'm pretty much trained for it. You have to, You have to get used to it at some point. I don't care if you're in a if you're a person being being taken at night constantly. You have to get accustomed to it and recognize it. And even though even though you don't want to go through that, it, you get used to it at some point.
0: Well, yeah, humans are can accommodate themselves to almost any circumstance. But uh, I, right, I would think that would be problematic at best.
1: Oh yeah, and then then when I work with these people, i I ask them, you know, do because a lot of people, even though they're being healed and being being well taken care of by their ET victims, there are some that aren't. There are some ETs that will take a person and, and do physical harm, and I wish I could help every person uh, not have to go through that. I give them the best help I can, but uh, I always tell the people, you know, if, if, you can, if you can send a message somehow in your mind, communicate with them, let them know they are no longer welcome in your environment then they should leave. And you may have to say that multiple times. So I tell them that. Make sure you repeat this over and over, night after night. Let them know that this is your house and they are the ones that are not welcome. And then there are some people I work with that they find their ETs to be very peaceful and very kind and loving, and they don't want the encounters to stop. We don't have too many of those, but occasionally I do work with people that have been so blessed and healed by the ETs that it's almost like years have been taken off their life. They're able to move around better and, and see and hear better. And so they're thankful for their encounters. Some aren't, some are.
0: So as far as the, uh, take a little sidetrack here, uh, as far as the physical appearance of ETs, now, uh, the classical, uh, I I guess, like a better way, appearance, what most people would think of when you say extraterrestrial are really the grays, the, uh, Small, thin uh, creatures with large heads and large black eyes. But how many different types of uh, ETs have you uh, interviewed people about?
1: I would say at least at least ten different races uh, that I know for a fact. Um, Some of them are the greys, and the greys can be a little bit mischievous and harmful. But some of the more pleasant ones, like the as we call the Nordic beings, or even the Council of Eight or Four. If you've heard Kathleen Martin mention those, um, they tend to be more helpful and kind and peaceful. But some of the greys can be can be a little bit more mischievous and they are the ones that tend to do more harm than good. And from what I understand, the greys and some of the other races do not communicate with each other. They keep their distance because they don't want to start a war or a fight within their own galaxies. Uh, the greys are harmful. The Nordics tend to be a little bit more peaceful. And the Council of Eight and some of the other uh, different ones you've heard Kathleen Martin mention, those are very peaceful, and they were—they only have our best interests at heart. And most of the people that I work with, it's been more Nordic than it has uh, Council of Eight or, or the graves. They've been more Nordic beings that have been peaceful and kind. I've worked with a few cases that they did have graves, and they were very well harmed, and I had to get them out of that situation best I could on my end.
0: now if you don't mind uh give me give me a little bit of a physical description of these others other beings that you mentioned not the greys but the others
1: uh the nordic beings can sometimes look just like you and me they can come across as just being an actual person and then they can also in some cases um uh, reveal their true self by taking their uh, because because when they look like us of course they have physical clothes on and they walk amongst us but when they reveal their true self you can see a little bit more of a pale skin and, um we, but they still look a lot like us. They have hair, they have long hair, they have, basically, have, and they can even speak like us. But when they show the true self, it's still similar to us, but just with a little bit more pale skin. I'm not sure how they change their skin color tones back and forth. Uh The council of eight and four, they are more human than anything from what I understand. And they can, uh, they're the ones that do all the healing and the help and, and really have our best interests. The Nordics do too, but the gray, but the Council of Eight and Four and Nine tend to be very well at it. They they can heal a person just overnight, instantly. Um, even Kathleen could probably tell you stories on that. But yeah, they are very um very peaceful and kind. It, it's the, the grays are the ones that that really have the E.T. classic E.T. look, and and they're unmistakable. When you see them, you know who they are, and and you get a very very odd and eerie feeling from them. You know it ain't good.
0: We know at, As you're describing these, these different beings, and they're all visiting Earth, what kind of position does that put the human race in? Are we a creature of curiosity to them? Uh, is it research? Well, what's your take on that?
1: From what I understand, just based on, my own, based on my own experiences and communicating with them, they are here because they want to help us evolve. Because outside of where they're from, we're the only family they have. They don't have any other family other than other than each other and us. And they want to help us uh, populate, grow, and heal, and, and, and continue on. They don't want us to destroy ourselves, which they're afraid that we're going to do in the long run. They're trying to help us, uh, help, help, us help each other and help us stay healthy and grow. And it, the problem is we have so much hatred here on Earth that they can't get to every one of us in time to save us all. So unfortunately, some of us do... Uh, end up dying in some cases but they do the best they can trying to try and help us and they're teaching people like me to help others through their training and their uh their healing powers they allow me to to use my uh, remote viewing uh, skills to heal and help other people so i'm kind of like working with them to help others and i wish everybody could could, could uh have a kind experience and, and learn to help others and grow
0: well i mean it would be beneficial even just from the uh Prospect of meeting a stranger, for that meeting to uh, be amicable and and nonviolent and not result in anyone getting hurt or having be killed, but uh, given the history of the human animal, that thought and that hope might be a little problematic.
1: Right, unfortunately, even we as uh, humans can't uh, can can't always get along and help other people like we should. Uh, there's a lot of hatred here and. I've even asked the ets and during some of my in- uh messages and speaking with them if they ever encounter uh, health problems or things of that nature and they said to me that they don't um, they don't have they they don't have the health health problems like we do but they have the uh, they do occasionally fight with the Greeks and other ones they try to keep their distance but they do try to but they do occasionally have encounters and fights just like we do here on earth we have
0: Problems
1: with each other, we fight sometimes, but uh, they would love for sort of world peace, is what they really love to see, and they're, and they're hoping it will come at some point. I just hope I'm live well enough to see it.
0: Well, I mean, that would be a definite hope that you could live to see world peace. So, in the meantime, what do you and and MUFON by extension? Recommend you do if you think that you've had an encounter with an extraterrestrial or you've seen extraterrestrial activity. What's the standard advice?
1: The standard advice, if you think you've had an encounter, would be to, um, of course, contact us and and file an abduction report. Let us know so we can so we can get you the help you need. Uh, what we normally would do is the advice we give people is to, um, it, let's say you think you had an implant, maybe they put something in you you're not for sure if they have, but it feels like maybe there's something there. We would advise you to go to the uh, hospital or doctor's office and get it checked out to verify it's there. But we always tell the people, do not have it removed because if it's in you, then it's there for a reason, for for health purposes, for monitoring your health and, and giving you the assistance you need. If you do have it removed, there's a pretty good chance it's going to get put right back in you because they can they can always put another one in you. Well, that's I've true. worked with people that... I've worked with people that have had implants in their um, like their nasal area or even in their arms, left or right arms, and they can feel it's there. And some people have had implants they didn't know they had it. They have went their whole life with something in them, never knew about it until they finally had a doctor's checkup, and there it is. But the implants are used, like I say, for them to monitor our health and our healing. And so um, if you have an implant, if you think you do, leave it in there because it's for the better. Uh, it's for good. If it wasn't meant for good, you you would know because you would have a feeling of it's not good.
0: Okay. Now, uh, what would you say to somebody who just you know, unilaterally says, "Oh man, yeah, extraterrestrials! It's it's just garbage. It's, it's not real. People are making this up." What would you say to someone who who thought that way?
1: I would tell them that you may, you may be a little bit skeptic because of the fact that you've never had an experience yourself and uh i truly believe and i would tell the person i truly believe that and i know for a fact that they are real i've had my experiences and we and i would let them know that what i usually say to people is if we can have dogs cats alligators mice and birds we we can have things up there in space i mean life wasn't just created one way it it was created multiple ways and once you have your first encounter then you you would become less of a skeptic because anybody who has even just one encounter, it's something they never forget. And I feel that everybody who may be listening to this, you may have a bit of skepticism in them. Once they have their first sighting, even if it's just for a few seconds, it it definitely sparks a, uh, it's something you'll never forget.
0: I would say not. It would be, uh, well, if not actually traumatic, it would be a very arresting, encounter because you're, you're coming face to face with something that pop culture notwithstanding that that most people find difficult to justify
1: oh yes and everybody out there who, who who's listening to this if you think you've had a sighting or you think you might have saw something it doesn't matter when it was um, go to uh, mufon.com and uh, file a report it doesn't matter if it's 20 or 30 years ago we'll take any reports because we lo- we love the research we love to get out there and, and do the back history and find out, you know, can maybe you weren't the only one that saw something. It, there could be five other people at that time that had the same type of sighting. And, and and the more information, the more details, the better. But we have reports that come in from the 50s, the 40s, the 30s. And we'll do the research to find out hey, this matches with this. This goes along with, with this case here. We have five cases or five reports all from the same date, same time, same time frame. And that, that's further proof that something did happen.
0: Well, you know, I, I as a journalist, I've always liked to have backup. I like to be able to research and, and get confirmation from at least three other sources. So is there any uh, organization other than MUFON that offers similar information where people can kind of bounce um, those
1: off? There's another organization that we kinda of work with sometimes. It's a New Fork, National Eurythole Reporting Center. And they also take reports that people send to them. Um and they of course they do the research themselves. They don't have a big organization and field investigator like Mufon has, but they have they they have enough they can uh, they can help you out as well.
0: Well I wasn't casting any, any doubt on Mufon whatsoever. I just yeah, I, I've always found it comfortable to be able to have two or three sources at least.
1: Right. And, and uh, New Fork, like I say, New Fork is another place besides MUFON, and I don't know if there's any others, but uh, we do a lot of work with Newfork because we can go back and forth with, with cases. Like let's say I get a case in MUFON, and yes. maybe there's a couple cases in MUFON that kind of go together. I could check New Fork out, see if they have anything, and then if they, if they have a couple cases, then... I can put the four together and, and say, "Okay, there was definitely something going on at that date and time because all the reports are s- having the same sighting, the same shape, object, color, all saying the same craft." And so it, it just—it's further proof. It's what it is, really. Well,
0: it sounds like you're doing your best to uh, to present as clear a picture of of evidence as possible.
1: Oh yeah, that's one thing that I always do, and a lot of us here in Newfoundland is we. Uh, always make sure we get as much evidence as possible and be as descriptive as possible because the more information, the more details, the more we can get, get closer and closer to, to having that that moment where we say without a doubt that, yes, they're definitely there, and I think we're getting closer every day to proving to the world that they are in existence.
0: So what's your take on recent releases from the federal government about unidentified Craft and things of that nature. Uh, most people want to say, or, are saying now, "Well, the government come out and said that UFOs were real." That's not what they said. But, but what's your take on the information?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, the information they released, they're, they're slowly, slowly starting to come come out with with the fact that these things do exist. That they're holding a lot more information than what they want to give us. But I think they might be doing that partially for our safety. Although I think we as individuals can make our own minds so up, whether we want to believe or not, well, there I don't is. think the government should. Do.
0: No, I I don't. I'm not a, a fan of somebody else, no matter how well-intentioned, telling me what to think or what I can think. But it it is possible, playing devil's advocate, that they're reserving information to avoid panic and things like that. You could give them that much without accepting the what they that they're doing. So in reality, though, they could come out and say, yes, there are UFOs, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're alien, so, which is, is they're, they're coming out and saying that they can't identify these things. And it may be the first step. In, and uh, again, there's no precedent for this. This might be the first step to them coming out and saying, yes, aliens are real. And we met with them last Thursday. But not having said that yet, we're we're left with what information we have.
1: Right. And if you take uh, some of the things the government has said over the years in regards to UFOs, you know that they also do believe in it as well, just as much as we do. And I'm sure they're doing just as much research in some levels as we are too. I would like to think that we can all come together someday and, and put all our information together and, and really really, really educate the world on this topic. Mm-hmm. Who knows, maybe it will happen someday. Maybe we'll all, we'll all bind together and, and let the world know, hey, Here it is.
0: Well, that would be good for that to happen because information should be free and it should be shared so that you can perfect that information. So are there any other events uh, that happened to you or even to someone else that you care to share with us?
1: Yes, besides having the ET contact, uh, I've also had paranormal contact as well. Um, I've I've even had paranormal shows on television and... uh, different areas. Our group is called Something Wicked Paranormal yes. Investigations. And during some of those uh, investigations, I've had encounters with things that have gotten into me that I couldn't explain. I've been, I don't want to use the term possessed. I hate that word, but it it has happened. And, and I was lucky enough to uh, survive that. I've had encounters with uh, spirits that have uh, spoke to me and told me that they uh, were still around because they've lost their loved ones. Um, Some of my personal experiences that I've had, besides being possessed once, which I don't normally get into, I've had other encounters with spirits um, coming to me and and showing themselves, letting me know they're there. I spoke with them and asked them, what are you here for, what do you want? They they say that they have a message to get to their loved ones, or they they have a message to give to me. I've had spirits uh, give me messages saying that... uh, you need to be careful with your life. Things are going to happen on this date or that date. Well, I take everything serious. I I remember everything. Even write stuff down. And so all, all of my experiences, whether it be good or bad, has led me to uh, being able to assist and help others in move on and in psychic work. So I look at everything as being like a uh, like a building block to 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 get me to where I need to be in this life, where I'm at now.
0: So how can people reach out to you if they want to ask you questions or view some of the the things that you've experienced. Do you have a master website or contact information where they can uh, reach out?
1: Yes, if you want to contact me, you can find me at a. I'm on Facebook with Crappie King. It's a fishing fishing name, Crappie King. You can find me on there. You can message me at Mufon.Chris at Yahoo.com. And if you want to learn more about ETs and UFOs, you can look me up on Mufon.com, the website. I'm there along with a lot of all of us, and we're. And I'm sure if you look at mufin.com, you'll find something you can't live without because it's a database full of information, and we're always willing to help. And if you need psychic work done, psychic help, you can contact me at mufin.chris@yahoo.com, at yahoo.com, and I'll assist you there, too. I do everything from the heart, so I don't charge anybody any fees. I believe that uh, the best way to help is to take your, take your knowledge, your hands, and, and give it assistance. I don't work for money.
0: Well, see, now that's, uh, that's refreshing in, in an age where everybody wants paid for everything. So, I mean, it's nice that you're willing to help
1: people. Yeah, it, it, it's very wonderful to be able to help uh, heal people and, and help them find things and just help them with their ET experiences because, I mean, the ETs don't work for money and neither does uh, a lot of the other spirits and things that we can't feel. They, they all work for free because they want to make a difference. And, and so I do the same thing they do. I give the best help I can and... Uh, Do the best I can to change the world for the better.
0: Well, that yeah, honestly, that's all any of us can do, right? But uh, well, I want to take this time to thank you very much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure that your story will resonate with a lot of the listeners. And uh, hopefully, there'll be more people reaching out to you for information and help.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. This has been a wonderful hour speaking with you, and uh, come back and do it again some year someday.
0: Definitely, and we look forward to having you on again.
1: Thank you very much.
0: This is Charles Romans, and on behalf of myself and our guests, thank you for joining us on this walk through the Shadows of Legend. If you like what you heard, please follow us and visit our website at shadowsoflegend.com and support our Patreon page to help keep the content flowing. And if you would like to be a guest and share your own brush with a stranger paranormal, don't hesitate to email us and include a contact number. The strange and surreal, the normal and the paranormal are all aspects of the world in which we live. As you reflect upon the stories we have shared, keep in mind that the people sharing these stories are actual, real people just like us. Were the stories shared compelling enough to be given credibility, or should they be relegated to the deeper part of the shadow? But when determining this, it might be a good idea to keep an open mind, because when we look around, we might discover that our own world is less brightly lit than we once thought. Until next time, I'll be waiting for you in the shadows of legend.